Hey everyone, it's Taylor and Brendan from Blue and Gold Make Darlene. They tell you about the Hockey Podcast Network. Goddamn right we are. You know, there's an entire network. It's not just Blue and Gold Make Darlene. There's 31 podcasts, one for every NHL team. From terrible, horrible teams like the Boston Bruins to some of the best teams in the league like the Buffalo Sabres. Absolutely. And with that being said, if it's a terrible team or if it's a great team, no matter what, you are able to get two episodes a week from all of the hosts. New episodes come out every Monday and Thursday with new content covering everything from the latest that's going on with everyone's respective teams all the way through to doing more fun things like the many trivia games that Taylor and I have on our show. That's right. Hot content, hot takes, hot hosts. Hot hosts. You got it everywhere. Uh, and you you can find them pretty much anywhere you find your podcast. Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spotify. Stitcher, if you're one of those weirdos like me that uses Stitcher. You use even, Stitcher? I do. Strange. I think I'm the only one who does. Okay. And even at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com if you're looking for some more info. There's a whole website That's that you right. could go check and hey, out. Maybe it's getting to that point of the season where you're getting sick of the Sabres. I know some of us are. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, this West again. Coast uh, trip is about to be tough. Maybe you want to check in on some of your other favorite teams if you're one of those kind of guys. Absolutely. Well, they're all available and they're all easy to find. Gosh darn right. So be sure to check out the Hockey Podcast Network once again at their website at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. And be sure to follow on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a very special episode of Blue and Gold Make Darlene. As always, I'm Brendan. And I am straight up not having a good time right now. No, 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 no. (laughs) So, uh, as you all may have guessed if you have been listening recently, uh, some of the uh, talking points that we've had and some of the conversations we've been having have been a little bit repetitive, um, mostly just due to the constant state of misery that we're all in. so we thought it would be an, a, a fun idea, air quotes around fun, to rank each season of the past decade based on the most enjoyable to the most miserable. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, I didn't think it was a good idea, but it was an idea. It was an idea. <laughs> it's something to talk about because there's really uh, nothing else worth talking well, about. So let's get yeah. angry about the past. Yes. Uh, the hard part about these rankings is that there's kind of indistinguishable sometimes between years. Yeah. You think of like a memory or a controversy and you're like, wait, which year was that? Was that 2015? Right. 2017? Who's to say? It's the truth. They really do blend together. And to be honest, I think this is something that both of us, uh, a conclusion that we both came to is that there are two clear cut seasons that were one and two for the most enjoyable And then it's just the rest of the pack is kind of a little bit scattered. But these are the official podcast rankings. I have we have some that we maybe disagree on a little bit, but like we'll get to that. And we're gonna we're gonna go best to worst uh, because I think obviously this is a more negative tone because of who we're talking about. But I think it it makes it lays things out more clearly if we do that. Right. So the only choice, and and also just as a clarification. For the decade, we're doing 2010-11 through this season. Yes, this season is included. Uh, yes, but we decided to do that. Uh, so There's a couple ways to do it, but that's how we did it. And there's an obvious choice. Yes. Yeah. The first year. 2010-2011. So, um, some of the general highlights there. For one, that was the last time that the Sabres have had a playoff appearance. 
Uh, also within that season, you have the official sale of the team to Terry. Yes, that's Terry. also the last season they started a year without the Pagoulas as owner. Yeah, what a weird <laughs> coincidence. That's odd. Uh, but yeah, so then the, the team gets sold to Terry Pagula. Um, a major highlight, I would say, would be the official ceremony that introduced him. And you have the last public appearance of the French Connection, of course. Um, yeah, unfor- very unfortunately. A later, yeah, uh, only a, a few accident. weeks later, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it was very quick. He um, had a heart attack while driving his car. Right. Yeah. So you have all the, you know, ex- I mean, the excitement of the new ownership, you know, going into that, everybody was very optimistic. Uh, the opening press conference with the, with Terry, you know, everybody came out of that just feeling really strongly like, all right, we have an owner who's ready to spend money and invest in the team. Clearly, that did not exactly go according to plan or at all for that matter. Um, but again, you also have uh, the last playoff appearance from the Sabres. It was a, an appearance against Philadelphia, which, of course, the last time those two teams met was in the um, 2006 playoffs, which was a very exciting, iconic series um, you know, in Sabres playoff history. Uh, and they ended up losing in seven games. Um, Definitely hit by a little bit of an injury bug that season and even into the playoffs with Derek Roy missing the majority of the year. And he was really never the same after that. He wasn't. Um, And that's kind of the big thing with this season for me because there's a a big what-if factor there. So Roy plays 35 games, and he puts up a a point-a-game pace. He had 35 points in 35 games. He eventually ends up tearing his quadriceps thanks to a hit from Sabres legend Dmitry Kulikov, as a matter of fact. Is that so? It is that, that is the case. Who was Kulikov playing for at the time? It would, still Florida. It would have been Florida at the time, yes. Wow. So Roy Kulikov was around then. Yeah, so he ends up hurting Roy. Um, again, 35 points in 35 games. So you have a major, major, major what-if factor there if Roy stays healthy. However, with that being said, he goes down. Everybody thinks that the season's going to be a wash. The team rallies and is able to push. Yeah, they and were weirdly a lot up, better without him. They were, yeah. And they end up finishing second place in the division. Um, behind? Behind. Boston? Who was it behind? Was it Boston? It probably was because Boston it won the cup. Very well may have been. Yeah, so it would have been about... Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd have to think so. Um, but Roy eventually comes back for Game 7. Another big part of this series was, of course, that it went to the game went to game 7. He comes back. He ends up getting an assist. It's not enough. The Sabres lose to the Flyers. But otherwise... They also, we should say, were up going into the third period of Game 6. They're up 3-2 in the series, and I mm-hmm. think 3-2 in the game. In, in one of the, I think, most underrated, painful moments, the tying and winning goals were scored by Danny Breer and Billy Leno. Yeah, that one hurt. It wasn't great. No. Because that... You did have that amazing glove save by Miller on Breer, point blank. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. That's the last time we mentioned Breer in this podcast, we swear, but Billy Leno will be <laughs> back later. Uh, yeah, so that was, that, that was a very... That was an incredibly brutal playoff loss because I remember thinking at the time... The Sabres would have had the Capitals in the second round. Mm-hmm. And that Capitals team was in between the two good Capitals era of the right. Ovechkin era, uh, which was the weird, like, Dale Hunter kind of team. Ovechkin was, like, <laughs> he was making Ovechkin play defense for some reason. Yeah, and whatever. yeah. And Ovechkin hadn't had the worst years of his career. Uh, he, so that team, and that team also just wasn't crazy good. Like, they definitely were not bad. Like, I think... Just going off the top of my head here, they were still one of the better teams in the East. So you're talking about the Capitals? Yeah. Well, the the following season, actually, which we will get to, though, the Capitals were the team who were neck and neck with the Sabres 
down to literally the last game of the season. Yeah, that that year, yes, because that's when they really fell. Apart. Right. I think they were still good in 2010-11, but the Sabres kind of had their number that year, if I'm also remembering mm-hmm. that correctly. I remember being very confident about that, and the Capitals got swept, as it turned out, in the second round to Tampa, who really was not all that great of a team at no. all. They had a very young Victor Hedman. They had Stamkos, who was great already. They had a really hot Dwayne Rolison, and besides that, it was kind of like, oh. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, that was not a very deep or good team. And that team made it to Game 7 of the Conference Finals. So you think ultimately the Sabres probably lose to the Bruins in the Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. But that would have been huge. Huge. For us now, to have a Conference Final run at that time? Massive. would have been massive. Secondly, to have right then that would have been huge. Because they had a playoff loss year before and two straight playoff misses. And we were on the precipice of thinking about we completely wasted this era of... Guys who seemingly are pretty good, like they had a lot of. They had Miller, who's one of the top of his game around that time. Yeah, definitely. You had Roy, who no one liked but was good. Pominville, who people generally liked. You had Vanek, who's one of the better scorers in the league. Stafford was putting up thirty goals. Yeah, you still had like pretty good. You had Myers as a young guy who Mm -hmm. people, a lot of people believed in. Yep, Leopold was there, who was pretty solid for a little bit. Yeah, the last defenseman we had that could score goals. Right. So it felt like we were like done. Like the halfway point of this year, so the fact that they went on this run was great, but it was kind of heartbreaking that they, as a seven seed, uh, almost upsetting the the second seed mm-hmm. Flyers. And I think you saw that year in the playoffs that there was just it was just a very weird year in the East. Boston, I'm not gonna say they got lucky, like they did get a little lucky, like Tim Thomas kind of carried them right at like 9:40, but it was the perfect year for them to strike, and they. They swept the Flyers, who obviously, since they went so far... So they took so long to beat the Sabres, it doesn't seem like they were good. Right. Tampa Bay ended up beating Pittsburgh when Crosby and Melkin were hurt, which was huge. Uh, Montreal really wasn't that good that year. The Rangers were, I think, out of the playoffs. Or they were either out of the playoffs or like an 8 mm-hmm. or something like that. So, <sighs> wasted opportunity. Yeah. Well, let's change up the tone a little bit for number two uh this one was another one that we pretty much agreed on from the get-go um and it's you could probably argue and say it is the one thing it's the one year that the Sabres did what they sought out to do successfully and that would be 2014-15 the tank year yeah so this is the year that I've been realizing more and more is the kind of thing I'm gonna remember I don't want to say fondly but there's like weirdly that, kind of fondly kind of fondly just because it was so there, it, there's such like visceral memories of what like we cheered for because there's actually unlike these other years a stretch run because i saw someone point out recently what jason Bottrell's sabers are after the trade deadline combined over the last three years not good like five combined wins bad yeah so the sabers down the stretch almost every year including 2013 14 mm-hmm. it was like whatever because 2013 14 is like they got that last spot wrapped up uh 2013 eh, some people pretended they were going to make the playoffs they never were mm-hmm. uh but the other years pretty much every other year it's like ugh, you're yeah. mad you're done with it they're not even close to contending like there's another year we'll get to where it's a little bit different of a tone but this is the year where like you had to be engaged all the way through through the the second last game of the year right basically right is when they clinched it so and there's so that many was the moments. season that Cam Atkinson and Jonathan Tol- Toes both really oh. Tays, excuse Jesus me. Yeah, I had a, I had a little bit of a tongue twister there. Cam Atkinson, Jesus Jonathan Christ. Tays, Quentin Tarantino over here. Shut up. Uh, they <laughs> shut you asshole. 
<laughs> they uh, pretty much cemented their legacy in, in Saber's lore. Uh, they yeah. I have... want to say there's a third guy, but I could be mistaken. Those are the big two. Those are the big two. So just to set the scene for, for what that was like, uh, we wanted to lose pretty much going into the year, and events during the season ramped up the... I guess, the pressure to do that. Right. So basically, in 2013-14, we knew the Sabres are rebuilding. They had a lot of young guys they wanted to throw out there. They wanted to throw out there. Ristolainen, Zadorov, Gergensen, Krikorenko, Johan Larsson, three of whom are still on the team. All of them, I think, were teenagers at the time. Larsson might have been 20. They all are out there right away in October, and it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, The team hadn't changed that much. They really hadn't signed anyone. They were like, we're going to have these young guys kind of take over. Right. And And that wasn't even their first year either, too, for what it's worth, because... If I remember correctly, it was the 2013-14 season, which was the one that they, was the first time, I believe, since 95-96 where they had, like, four teenagers. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. that was the year prior. So this yeah. is, like, a year after that. Yeah, that's, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Is like, the 2013-14 season was a dis- – so that, that didn't work out at all. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a tank, I would say. People kind of conflate the two. So that wasn't a tank. They – came in they were terrible and my biggest uh reason for thinking it's not a tank is that pagula was not in on it at all obviously because he immediately saw how bad they were fired darcy fired rolston who they had just hired they just made him full-time coach and fired him less than 20 games or roughly 20 games into his his tenure got rid of them brought in ted nolan so i'm gonna get we'll go further into that season anyway the point is everything went terrible they bring in tim murray they then that next year it's like well if you finish last, then you get worse, get the second pick. And McDavid and Eichel are both in these drafts. So like, mm-hmm. we knew right away what the stakes were. And most people who are reasonable, not Tim Murray and not certain other people in the fan base, but most Sabres fans who are reasonable knew that you had an 80% chance at Eichel and a 20% chance at McDavid. And winning the lottery is not something <laughs> right. I've heard. Really, getting lucky you know, is not something that Buffalo sports teams have been known for. And the Sabres had their own issues with the lottery this century. So... That team, the 2014-15 team, started out unbelievably bad. Yeah, very, like, very They bad. were getting 10 shots in some games. Multiple games, they were getting 10 and 11 shots. Against yeah. the Leafs one time, they got 11 shots. The Leafs. And what I believe is an October game. Right. And it almost felt <clears> at the beginning like, oh no, this is too bad. <laughs> Not like this. Yeah, and I think as the season goes on too, like you said before, like the signs that this was the way to go kind of started to happen, you know? Like, it wasn't, like, going into the season where everybody was, like, all aboard the tank train. Like, I think that right. the coalition kind of grew as the season went along, um, you know? And one of the things that really kind of stands out to me, like, looking at that season and going into it, was the hype that was surrounding Mikhail Gregorenko there. Uh, you know, going into that, I mean, obviously we all know, like, he was taken with the first of the two first-round selections that they had when they ended up taking Gergensen's after the fact. Um, Grigorenko... A sterling <clears throat> first-round success. Excellent, yeah. Grigorenko, though, um, you know, going into that season was, at the time, if I remember correctly, thought to potentially be, like, the third-best skater, um, ranked, like, the third-best skater. Then there was some issues that, of course, had moved yeah, Turns out it didn't list. matter. Yeah, it turns out it did not matter because of the fact that the issues that people had with him, which were, like, work ethic and stuff like that, were still a pretty big issue with him, and it yep. just never really translated. Um, he had all the raw talent in the world. You saw that. You know, he had great hands. He had a shot, but, like, he just... 
didn't put it together and just never really kind of seemed to care to really put it together or kind of take his game to really like the next level that he needed to. Massively disappointing. I know I very strongly refute the fact that I owned a Brad Boys jersey. One thing that I will completely own up to, though, is that I did own a Mikhail Gregorenko jersey. That's way more embarrassing. Why won't you just admit the Brad Boys thing? I'm not, because I I, I will admit what is true. The Gregorenko jersey, though, was definitely bad. It was very, very bad. I had a jersey that I got as a present, and I wanted it. Did you ask for it? Yes and no. It wasn't like I was like explicitly like that, but like I do remember though, like after it happened, because um, I think it was around like it was like Christmas the year that he got drafted. It was around like Christmas the, the same year that he got drafted. It was like, well, you want a jersey? Like I want to get somebody who's going to be here. You think for the long haul? <laughs> and uh, little did I know, oh, boy. Yeah, so that was a rough one. Uh, but then though, going back to it though, you start to see the signs as the season goes along that you know. This is what you have to do. An 80% chance that Eichel... It was always Mick Eichel. Like, it was 80 Eichel, 20 McDavid. Obviously, McDavid is what you really, really wanted, but Eichel was also, like... It, it, the, the point was to finish last to secure one of these two franchise-altering players. And that's what they did. Um, yeah. Which well, the made bump it in a, the road started kind of early. Because in 2013-14, they were... Like, by November, it was like, oh, they're finishing last. Mm-hmm. They actually finished last by, like, 15 points. Yeah. This year, not quite. It was... There was drama. Like I said, in October. Arizona was yeah. right there. Well, not even at first. In October, it was like, this team is <laughs> terrible. No one's going to touch it. And then in like mid-November, they kind of started to string some wins together. And then that kind of built right through December. And I remember we were both in college at the time, so it's our Christmas breaks. They wouldn't stop winning. They mm-hmm. won like... 10 of 13, and then like 11 of 15, they went like 11, 4, and 1 at one point, and it capped, got capped off with this Islanders three-goal comeback. And it was like, oh God, what are we going to do, guys? Like this, like this, All of a sudden, they were tied for 23rd in the mm-hmm. NHL, and they were well ahead of the Oilers. I remember the Oilers were last, and the Hurricanes were second last. And the Oilers were way worse than they were supposed to be. Like, at that point, people thought, like, they have Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Yakupov, Eberle. Mm-hmm. At some point, they have to be good. They even had David Perrin at that point. Your boy. My boy. Who's good. Yeah. Who they gave away for nothing. And and Darnell Nurse, for what it's worth. That's not nothing. Jeff Petrie. Mm-hmm. Like, they had all these guys. It's like, at some point, they should be not terrible, at the very right. least. You know, we've heard that before. <laughs> and it, a lot of people are like, well, it's over. I think a lot, some people... Like, this is the point where people started panicking and the tank idea started to really coalesce. Right, Because right. I think a lot of us were like, oh, my God, we're, we're blowing this. And a lot of the people that – some of the people were like, don't cheer for losses. That's embarrassing, regardless of what, what this team's roof is. And, or, excuse me, ceiling, not roof. <laughs> Michael Jordan there. The ceiling is the roof. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're having a rough one. Yeah, seriously. First toes, now this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Man. So, at that point, and there was other people – who thought this team has an interesting present. Let's see what they could do. And so stupid. So stupid the entire time. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, there's one person I remember in particular who I'll, I will not drag via audio who said, I think Sabres fans wishing for the tank are missing an interesting present. And I got to disagree because I think people who are into do it. not even advanced stats, do it. very basic who stats. Who said it? Who said it? Yeah. Brandon Orr. No. I was about to say, what? <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Uh, he loves cigarettes and tweets way too late at night. Ah, so, so, say no more. <laughs> so 
they very basic stats, which are not advanced stats. I always refuse to call them that. Like Corsi, are saying the Sabers are taking like thirty-five percent of the shots at even strength. The idea that a team that was doing that, they were doing the same thing that they were doing earlier in the year. The difference was, they had like a nine oh five PDO. They were shooting like eleven percent, which is insane. They were like their goal, their their save percentage was like ninety four, and Neuvirth and Enroth were like standing on their heads, and it was like okay, well they're Neuvirth and Enroth. Yeah. Like this isn't like even Ryan Miller or like obviously Dom Dukashik. Right. Like this isn't that. These are guys that are going to slow down, but it seemed at that point that it didn't matter. It seemed like they blew the spot. They were they're big saving grace. Not on Tim Murray's watch, baby. Well, this is before <laughs> this even. They go on a fifteen game losing streak, which is all in regulation. It stretched from like December twenty seventh to like mid February, and it was seeming like it was never going to end. And I think they might have passed Edmonton then. And that's when Arizona came in. Right. And that's when things got really interesting. Because Carolina, it turned out, was fine. They just had a mid-season, early-season slump. They were a mediocre team. Edmonton picked it up a little bit. And they Edmonton had lost six early-season games. Back then, you played six divisional games. You know, mm-hmm. you tied an onion to your belt, just the style at the time. And uh, they, they had lost all six to Arizona. Yeah. All in the first half of the year. Arizona won six games. It didn't seem like it mattered, and then Arizona won in a big losing streak, and their GM at the time, I don't remember who it was, mm-hmm. just was like, "Let screw it, let's do it too. They got rid of everyone but Ekman Larson. Their goaltending, which I think was Mike Smith at the time, was terrible. And they were two years ago, they had been, or three years ago, they'd been in the conference final, and now they were rapidly catching up to the Sabres. And the Sabres, after the, their big losing streak, they won some games, which you have to. You mm-hmm. literally have to. It's an NHL season. This, right. this is not the NFL. You can't go winless. <laughs> And because of that, the games that they won were Neuwirth and Enroth kind of playing well. They both got traded within weeks. I think both before the deadline. Yeah, they did. And then Anders Lindbach came in, and he had a couple games that were pretty good, and I think all of us were pulling our hair out because yeah. Arizona could not win. And that led to some interesting things. That obviously led to the Arizona games here. Right. Uh, with one here, Insane. one there. Insane. The, in the game, there was the... The game here was the one where people cheered for right, Arizona winning. Right, right. Was it, that's what I was thinking. Was it Shane Doan that scored the winning goal in that game? It very well could have that's been. That's right. Shane Doan was the other one I was thinking on that list. Bless you, Shane Doan. Yeah. Bless you. Thank you. Thank well, you and yeah. your wild I, elbows. Well, and I think another thing, too, the other big trade that happened was the Kane-Bogosian for Myers-Stafford, uh, Lemieux-Armia in a first trade. Um, yeah, that was right before the deadline. No, which, uh, before the deadline. you, man, they did they overpay on that deal? In retrospect, absolutely. Yeah, they did. Like Kane was <laughs> Kane was the best player in the deal, but you ended up giving up the first, which the first really just did not seem necessary to me. Um, but besides that, though, it was a, in a way like a brilliant move because you're going after a guy in Kane. Like Kane was the reason why they make that deal. Um, he at the time was a huge issue in the in the Winnipeg locker room. Of course, oh, there was the whole story about probably Dustin not Bufflin. a harbinger of things to come. You, at all. Right? Yeah, you have the story about Dustin Bufflin with him putting his uh, tracksuit in like the shower. Um, you know the thing with Kane and essentially just Kane and Bufflin just repeatedly butting heads, and that's your captain. You know, um, <clears throat> so. Then you get to the point where Kane's hurt. He's not playing, but he still has a lot of value. He had some good years with the Sabres while he was here, statistically speaking. I mean, you know. Oh, he scored goals. Yeah, he did. He scored goals. And he's hurt, though, when you trade for him. So it's like you're picking up this asset who, in reality, you're not getting until the following season. And in a way, like at the time, it was 
pretty brilliant to make a move like that, to, to trade for a guy who was injured and who you knew was going to be out. I mean, and that really kind of helped them, you know, it, you know, at the time, I think it was a lot of comparisons, like is Myers or Bogosian going to end up being better and everything? I think now we could say that is very clearly Myers, obviously, but you made the right move for what you were trying to do. They got better while still getting worse, if that makes sense. Yeah. On the other hand, and I, I, this became, this trade evolved over the years, but it's pretty much over now. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I think we can kind of say it didn't really matter that much for either side. No. Myers was like, Winnipeg basically had one good year out of it where they made the conference finals. They, made, they got balanced in the first round two other times. But that that was like, like going like going to the conference finals had like nothing to do with anyone on the team. Mm-hmm. Myers was like their fourth or fifth best defenseman. Armia was like a fourth liner, like a fringe NHL guy. And he's finally having his first good year on two teams later. Right. Uh Roslovich still remains to be seen. Young. Lemieux yeah. still on a different team now. Uh Stafford played there half a year. It didn't really matter that much. And no. of course Kane was better for the Sabres than any of those guys were for Winnipeg, but that also didn't matter. Right. Because they didn't come close to making the playoffs in his three years here. Oh boy. Well and it's oh, I will ahead. say that yeah, we talked a little bit about this, but the the level that those the level of incompetence by the Sabres that year was still stunning because by that point there had been like a, a solid data set of NHL teams and how they do via Corsi and Fenwick shots for shots against all that it's like eight years of uh, quote unquote advanced stats tracking uh, pretty much almost back to the last lockout and these the the twenty thirteen fourteen team was like at the bottom end of that mm-hmm. it's like forty three percent. And it's like, well, kind of seems like it's really hard to go under 43 or above 58. Those are like the ends. And you probably won't get near either of them. Right. But people thought that's the range. And that Sabres team comes in with like 36. It was unbelievable. They were so much worse than the year before, but they were so much more lucky. Yeah. Luckier. They, and they, because of that, played a lot more interesting games. And obviously Arizona played a role in that, but the end of that season, it was kind of like a celebration. It was like we made it because, and we'll talk about this more when we get to 2013-14 and even 2012-13, but Mm -hmm. there was like basically from the deadline in 2013 through the end of the, well, and through the draft in 2015, Mm -hmm. you felt like there was a huge building effect. And all of a sudden it felt like going into 2015-16, there's something here. Right. And uh, you all know... (laughs) Sitting here what now, happens? That that was not the case. No. But I promise it made sense at the time. The prospect pool, the NHL-level guys they had, mm-hmm. the seemingly smart GM, the, the seemingly good coach, well, this is all a, coming together. Well, this is a perfect transition into year number three. So my number three is 2015-16. Yep. And that's kind of a continuation Same. of this. Yeah, where you think that you're building towards something. I mean, that was yeah. like the general thought. You know, you have Eichel was, and Reinhardt's yeah. rookie year. Um, I mean, coming off of that, I, you know, I, I will say that a lot of a lot of people thought that the tank would produce results a lot quicker than it actually did, or I guess more concrete results for that matter. Um, but when you know you're coming out of twenty fifth, or you're coming out of of uh, of fourteen fifteen, and that's when you really you know start to see that change, like. 15-16 is the first year that you have Bilesma and Nolan's out the door. Um, 
you have ROR coming in in the offseason and then the laner trade, which, of course, I think everybody was kind of uh, about that considering it was a first-round pick. But you, it was exciting. You're bringing in guys and you're like, oh, my God, like we're really going to just accelerate this rebuild because we were like, all right, Jack is here, Sam's here. You're insulating them with some other like talented guys who are younger but still like have experience in the league and have had success in the league. Um, and then, you know, other Terrible things kind of happened this year also with Ted Black getting fired and that leading to Russ Brandon eventually becoming president of the team. That was awful. I would say Russ Brandon <clears throat> getting hired is worse than Ted Black getting fired. But yes, I agree with that yeah. completely. Um, but, I mean, and even coming into the season, like the big thing, like over 17,000 people showed up for the blue and gold scrimmage because they wanted to see Jack versus Sam. And that was Unbelievable. I was like there. A pro- yeah, a prospect scrimmage. You have over 17,000 people at that. Like that is It was incredible. Unbelievable. Well, I remember, uh, sick brag here, I, I covered prospect camp for the Buffalo News in 2014. Hell yeah, you did. I, William Carrier, baby. That's right. First interview with him. I bragged about that many a time on Rick's Reviews. <laughs> uh, but they're... That prospect camp in 14 was the first one where people were like, wow, this is a whole new slew of prospects to save mm-hmm. yourself. Like real ones, not just a bunch of guys. And obviously Reinhardt was at the top of that. And that's, like I said, people were feeling good about the prospect group. And that's when the scrimmage was free. And it was at KeyBank Center. And I would say 7,000 people showed up. Yeah, it and was. And everyone was stunned. And it was free. And people mm-hmm. like, 7,000 people to see a prospect scrimmage in Insane. July? insane it was wild and then like basically the next year they were like actually we're charging like 25 dollars for this which is insane yeah and seventeen thousand people came unreal yeah i forget about that from time to time and jack wasn't all that great in it um but whatever yes yeah, is what it is uh but going into that year's other a couple other interesting things like uh the the babcops week six as you yep. you've said uh they get by Elzma, which Felt like whatever, fine. Honestly, who cares either way? Everybody really did think that we were going. I'm. I remember thinking like it's going to happen. Like we're going to get Babcock. Like we're in a better spot than the yeah. Leafs are right well, now. And yeah, we were, but it didn't. It also didn't matter that much. Clearly, Babcock didn't want a playoff series in Toronto. Hasn't also, won a we've play- learned is kind of terrible as a coach too. Like to his players. Yeah. 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 Not exactly <laughs> what you want. It's <laughs> oh man, he's a weird guy. He's so weird. Putting uh, it lightly, Taylor. You're, yeah. That's, that's putting it... The whole thing with... Uh, like, the Marner thing, just still to this day, that's just, like, absolutely... Bizarre. That's not even bizarre like, Look, there was uh, so many uh, coaching stories that came out uh, in this whole... What was that, like, a couple totally, months ago? yeah. That I can't... You know, we obviously... There's too many to count, but some of them are like, oh, yeah, I guess that... Yeah, I absolutely see that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's exactly how coaches behave. But the Babcock, like, weird Machiavellian, like... like Do not understand oh, it. hey, uh, they're rich. Would you uh, rank all the, the laziest veterans here? And then he told the guys. Yeah. That's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> it's so weird. What a psycho. Who did he think that would help? Literally nobody. Yeah, like, that's he's horrible. He's an insane person. Anyways, though. So Big then... underachiever, though. Congrats on winning with Team Canada, though. You know, it's a real <laughs> tough battle ahead of you. Yeah, right. So, but either way, uh, going into that year, though, the Sabres definitely started slow, way slower than people thought. And I don't think people were upset about it. No. Uh, I think. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Thanks. I had to come back and switch the drill bits to fix the other uh, the the latch behind the door. But um, yeah, I'll send you a text. Yeah, just let me know. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. 
Alright, where were we at? Um, I think I was talking about... Oh, the slow start. Yeah, okay. So they started a little bit slow. Actually, very slow. Uh, but I think there was a lot of like, oh, they were the worst team in the league last year. How fast can they really start? But it really was a different team. Mm-hmm. It was... We thought it became... They have Jack Completely Eichel, different. Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart... Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane. All of them scored 20 goals, even though I think they all might have missed time except for Eichel. But either way, uh, the thing was that really held that team back, and one of the reasons I kind of made excuses for them early was that the three leading scorers on, from the previous year's team and the, the first line from the previous two years' teams, which was Tyler Ennis, Zemmus Gergensen, and Matt Molson, combined for 50 points that year. Mm-hmm. 50. Molson all of a sudden looked his age, which was unfortunate because you're like, oh, God, he's got like th- yeah. four years left in this contract. Uh, Ennis had a terrible concussion and didn't play that well when he was pl- healthy. And Gergensen's became what he ultimately was, which is tough. Sigh. <laughs> yeah. The second half of the year was great. They played at, like, I think a 94-point pace in the second half of the season. And it was like, oh, well, they'll absolutely make the playoffs next mm-hmm. year. Leonard looked good. He, he was hurt for a lot of the year, but he played... Uh, mostly in the second half, so he looked solid. Uh, Chad Johnson was the backup. He was good. And Linus Allmark's uh, limited time, he was good. O'Reilly was incredible. Kane scored. Uh, o- Reinhardt made a huge leap. I We're remember... Good that, that the end of that season is probably the best I've felt. Oh, yeah. I remember the first game of that season, too, because that was also the first year that uh, they actually had Let Me Clear My Throat as the goal song, yes, if I'm not mistaken. it felt like everything was changing Dude, better. Dude, that first game against Ottawa, when Evander Kane scored, but they ended up calling it back, but like when he scored that goal, yeah. the arena erupted yeah like he go he scores he goes up on one on one leg and like pumps the crowd up and everything and i just remember like i was like holy shit man like we're back like this is legit now like this team is actually gonna do something like it just felt like they played they were playing with like a little bit of like a swagger to them and like Clearly, that was not the case and was short-lived. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The, the, the idea of talking about the atmosphere is also an interesting one. Uh, I think in in 2014-15, obviously, it was not a good atmosphere mm, no. because of the games. And it, there was, like, South Florida-level crowds at the games. It was it was a bad yeah, scene. Yeah, it was rough. But and you could argue the loudest they were all year was when Phoenix scored in overtime, or Arizona <laughs> scored in overtime to, to beat us. But 2010-11, the second half of that year, it was insane in there uh it's when they were still kind of good at i mean they're i guess they're still pretty good at intros mm-hmm. this season but the way that they won so many big home games the second half of the year really the last two months of the season i remember going to a few of those and, and how loud it was and how excited people were and the atmosphere after the game because a lot of time you go to the games now and it's like something exciting happens and you walk out and you're like oh well they, they still suck but that was fun but there was some real energy there which does not exist in any of these other seasons but anyway, getting back to what we were talking right. about, by the end of that year, you feel great. Yeah. I think, uh, I, is there anything else that, that year? Let's see. Not that. really. I mean, they finished the year 35, 36, and 11 for 81 points. Um, and yeah, you're just kind of left feeling like, all right, is we're that, building something. Is that their third best season of the decade in terms of points? Yes. And it's their fourth best in terms of points percentage because of the lockout Good year. Good Lord. Number four, 2013, 2014. So it's weird to have the two terrible seasons up here, but that's just the kind of decade it's been. The thing with this year is it... It's because of what the end game was, what it, yeah. what it, what it resulted in, and it's Jack and Sam. 
Yes. So while the 2014-15 had kind of this intrigue all the way through, 2013-14 had this seemingly endless season kind of vibe. I feel like that's definitely the longest season in Sabres history. And for good reason. Mm. Uh, first of all, it started out insane. They were like 0-6, which is really hard to do. They immediately looked terrible. And we, uh, we already, new divisions, too, this new, year, too. Yes, this new division. division realignment new division, was. yeah. And as I had mentioned before, too, this was the big year where they had made history with four teenagers in the lineup uh, on opening night, right. which was I, you have Risto, Zadorov, Armia, and Gregorenko. Um and Gergensen's for that matter too, but opening night lineup. And I think Larson, one of them was hurt. Larson must have been like, uh, I think he was twenty. Yeah, something like that. So he was um, there too, though. But that was the first time that happened since ninety five, ninety six. Um, weirdly, Vanek and Ott were both named co captains. Uh, and in this year, I, I think really what a big thing was that kind of led to the general feel goodness of it all was that Lafontaine and Ted Nolan return. So yeah, that was kind of what I was getting at earlier. They start two thirteen and three, or two thirteen and two, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they they decide to make the the firing, but they don't want to do it in the West Coast. And they win, they beat the Sharks and the Kings, which is insane. The Kings won the Cup that year, right? And the Sharks almost beat the Kings in the playoffs. So I was like, wow, that's wild. They won those two games. Didn't matter. They still got fired. Plan set in motion. And it was kind of insane. It's like, oh my god, they're going to do the Lafontaine thing because it had been a rumor for so long, and no one believed it. Everyone was like, "Like, this is a, like ridiculous. It's a pipe dream." And then he was like, "Yeah, we're bringing back Ted Nolan," which even at that point, you're like, "God, Ted Nolan got fired 16 years ago." Well, and I just remember so vividly, like that day. I would remember I was sitting in my dorm room, and I'm like just on Twitter, and all of a sudden, like it was like the report came out, and it was like somebody was like, "Oh my God, like Lafontaine is here. Like it's happening. Like they they are bringing back Lafontaine," and then. It was a matter of minutes later that somebody said that they somebody tweeted that Ted Nolan was in the building at the arena, and everybody just was going nuts. It was crazy. I mean, you bring back for one, one of probably like the uh, top five most beloved player, beloved player in franchise history. Um, you could probably make an argument that he's probably like the third most beloved player in, NA, or in Sabres history behind Perot and Hasek, honestly. So you bring him back into the mix. And then on top of that, just knowing the whole Buffalo blue-collar narrative and everything and the hardworking thing, you bring back Ted Nolan. And it's just like they just hit you in the nostalgia feels. Like it was just I mean, I was excited at the time. Obviously, I didn't really know what we were in for when it came to Nolan. But just the fact that you are, one, bringing him back, and obviously he had a ton of success with the Sabres in the 90s, and then you on top of it with LaFontaine, who, like, I mean, how do you not love him? And so it was just kind of like all of this excitement building, and everybody just really kind of felt like this was like the changing of the guard, and we were ready to move on to like the new phase of like Sabres hockey. And it didn't turn out that way. Are you sure? Mm. Yeah. So things went really well with Lafontaine. Okay. I'm really glad that the third most beloved player in franchise history is no longer a part of the franchise in and any way, shape, or form. Guess what? We get to talk about that right now because that happened during the same season. A mere 12 years later. Unbelievable. During the same season. 12 years later? In the same year. That's how long the season was. Oh, yes, of course. Okay. So that February, I think. Yeah. 
Murray had been brought in in January by LaFontaine. By the way, we should throw this out there. There's a whole rumor. It's not such a rumor. That's more of like a kind of accepted thing now that Pagula had lunch with LaFontaine, Terry Pagula, that is, and was like, hey, after like 20 minutes, you want to be like the GM? <laughs> like, it's like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's like, basically was like, I could be the president and hire a GM, which he did. Tim Murray, which people thought was a good hire. Seemed smart at the time. And then there was some kind of disagreement. So that was a whole thing. We don't really know what it was, though, right? We, we still don't. No, I don't know if we ever will. So, so I don't know. That, there's that whole thing. But he was gone that quick, and it was kind of insane. Meanwhile, Ted Nolan got brought back after the year. That does that does concern us now. But so that team was that year is weird. As, as I mentioned, they started two thirteen and one. Uh, from there, when when kind of kind of when Nolan stepped in. Or you could say two games before Nolan stepped in. They started to stabilize. One thing was that Ryan Miller played extraordinarily well. Behind what was one of the worst defenses in the NHL, he put up a 923 save percentage. Unbelievable. Which I wish, I I do wonder if there's goals saved above average stats that year or uh, expected goals, things like this. Things that we could look into how good he was by advanced stats because that is an unbelievable year. Right. And Roth backed him up and did a good job too. Uh, They went on a stretch where they were 17, 22, and 7. Which isn't good. That's not good, but it's 17, 22, and 7 is mm-hmm. like just a stretch from a normal bad team. You wouldn't have thought it'd be in the middle of that year. Right. I think people kind of forget that. Here's the thing, though. Deadline comes. Miller trade. Actually, we could should back it up for a second. Mm-hmm. The first crazy thing that happened this year. Vanek. Before that. Preseason. Brawl. Oh, Phil Kessel and John Scott. Yep. That happens. The Sabres get fined for quote-unquote lineup decisions, which is insane. Going into that later, uh, Corey Tropp gets like traded for like a seventh-round pick or yeah. waived or cut or something like that. Something insane. Really they, random, yeah. After the Darcy firing and they didn't have a GM. Uh, okay, later, Vanek, a month into his captaincy, gone, traded, done. Later. Yeah. Later. Steve Ott is traded with Ryan Miller. They traded both their captains that year. They traded a captain for the third time in 11 months. The Miller trade is obviously a huge deal because of what he meant to the city, how good he was, all that. And also who he was going to. I mean, at that point, St. Louis was a premier contender who was everybody. The the whole narrative around St. Louis at that time was if they had solid goaltending, they will win the Stanley Cup. And but Miller goes there. They probably should have just hung on to Holak. Well, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, can you blame them for making that move, though? Like, I mean, I can't. You know, like, Miller no, with the way it. that he was playing. And then he goes there, and he actually starts off great with them. And yeah. they go on a little bit of a run. They get into the playoffs, and it just... Well, before that, they lose the last six games of the regular season yeah. and blow their divisional lead, which was an important thing. Right. Uh, and then yeah. it just falls apart. Yeah. Yeah, that that was tough, and he was awful in the playoffs. They lost to the Blackhawks, I think in the two three. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember who won the Central that year off the top of my head. Not important. Oh yeah, I do. It was Colorado, which is weird at the same time. Strange. So, so that was a, a very interesting thing, and you know, I I really felt like, oh man, Brian Miller could get a Stanley Cup this year. That'd be you know hard to watch, but good for him. Yeah. And I said, by God, we will not stop trading good Sabers to St. Louis until one of them gets a cup. <laughs> <laughs> so but that year um after the deadline though so miller's gone i think there were other deals at the deadline the sabers made but i don't remember them yeah i think that that's when they made the mcnab for 
Hudson Fashing. Oh, God. That whole deal. And Delorier. A couple of those that were more minor that I don't really remember. Uh, however, Miller gets traded. Uh, so, Enroth has to take over this as a starter. And Nathan Lewin, who is the goal TBT, man. What if? He's yeah, a big what if. Big, big bad concussion problems. Poor yeah. guy. He, uh, he comes in as a backup. Enroth gets hurt. Like, almost immediately. So, Lewin's the starter. They bring up Matt Hackett, who they got in the Pominville trade from mm-hmm. the year prior. We'll talk about that later. He comes in. They're both there. They both, like, get hurt. And as, as, a, uh, as another mention here, other goalies have kind of appeared that year. Uh, Michael Neuverth, mm-hmm. who they got the deadline, also got hurt. Yep. It was crazy. How Yeah. When the reason they, go they got... All together, it was, yeah. like, eight to ten goalies or something The reason crazy. they got Neuverth, though, was because... They had traded for Halak, and it didn't seem like Halak wanted to play here, and there mm-hmm. was still a couple of days before the deadline. So Halak was a um, backup for one game, but they made kind of a bad trade, which they probably was smart to make because they were tanking the next year and got mm-hmm. Neuverth. Uh, also, backup for one game, Ryan Vins, marketing TBT. guy. The e- I don't know if you call him an e-bug, but... He technically was. Yeah. He had to come in because the Miller trade was made on a game day. Mm-hmm. So, and then also, legendary... <laughs> Legendary ECHL All-Star from the Elmira Jackals, Connor Knapp, got to play. Oh, boy. Wow. So they basically had been using two goalies all year, and then... uh, And what's-his-name played, too, didn't he? Uh, The Russian. Smaller Russian guy. uh, Andrei Markov, right? Or Makarov, right? I don't think he played, but I think he was a backup. Oh, okay. I think everyone was hurt except Knapp and Makarov at the end of the year. Wow. I think. Whatever happened to him, he was actually supposed to be something, and then he... Yeah, well, well heard, heard that a lot over the Go Sabres. So, anyway. the last thing about that year uh, is that the team was basically, I believe they were led in points by Cody Hodgson, mm-hmm. and, or, and Tyler Ennis led them in goals, and I don't think anyone got 50 points. It was the beginning of that two-year stretch where... There was just unbelievably bad offense. I wish I wrote down the goal totals from that year, those two years, but whatever, it's fine. Um... Yeah, anything else you want to say about that year? That year, I, I just, the, the big thing I remember about it is, is you know what, actually we should explain why it is where it is on the list. That probably would be helpful. Not just saying what happened, because people probably remember most of that. Yeah. Okay, my thought is that at the beginning of that year, I was like despondent. Even though I knew that they were starting to build up some decent prospects, they were so bad at the beginning of the year. And all I wanted was to be in college for like one like good Buffalo sports run. And time was running out. Because by that year in that 2013 Bill season, the Worman kind of turned on EJ Manuel, and also he was hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Sabres come out, and they just yikesed for Big like yikes. months. So I was I was just so upset about that. I didn't. And then Vanek got traded. I remember like crying when Vanek got traded, being like, "We wasted all these guys. They're all dead now." Because mm-hmm. that was the one that really hit me. I was like, "Oh my god, Pominville's gone. All these guys are gone. Derek Roy's gone. They're all dead." Yep. Also, just to go back on your one point before, Cody Hodgson put up 20 and 24 for 44 points in 72 games. Ennis had 21, 22 for 43 in 80 games. And then after that, nobody had more than 35 points. Good, good, good. Billy Leno, that was a zero goal year. Almost really, forgot about that. Really, really good. Billy Leno played 58 games and scored zero goals. And 15 assists. 15 assists. That's better than I remember. So, <laughs> Billy Leno scored fewer points than Jamie McBain. Anyway, oh so, but as the year went on, though, as uh, they, they fired more people, <laughs> like, they just constantly through, throughout the entire year, as everyone argued on Twitter, 
things started to feel a little bit better for me. Yeah. And especially the deadline, by the time they traded Miller, and after the Vanek trade even, it was like, wow, look at this. Look at what we've like amassed. Yep. Look at what we have. Like this is incredible. This yeah. is this is a really like nice like chess we're going into and we're going into next year. We're probably gonna tank next year, probably gonna get Eichel. It just it felt like we knew what we were doing more. And and Reinhardt was right there. That that felt good as well. Reinhardt was always like the guy. I think yeah. that everybody, you know, like Ekblad was like, Oh, this would be cool if we got it. But I think Reinhardt was always the one who obviously in hindsight, you know, Leon Dreisettle would have been the pick. And I know we've talked about before that Matthew Collar was a very big proponent of going after Dreisettle with that second pick, but I feel like it was always like we're working towards Reinhardt. That is what the goal was. Yeah, I wasn't disappointed at the time. No, me neither. Yeah, well, I gotta say, I wouldn't mind if Reinhardt would ever put up like 120 points and 50 goals in a year. That'd be beautiful. Um, yeah, want to hear a, a a hilarious tale of a proud fool? Give it to me. I didn't. I was like, when Florida won the lottery, I said, "Doesn't matter because Florida's taking Ekblad, and I don't want Ekblad." And is it because I thought uh, he had some flaws in his games that would keep him from being a superstar? No. I said, the Sabres are all set on defense. That's a real thing I thought yep. with my brain. If I said, only. we have Ristolainen, Zadorov, Christian Erhoff, Jake McCabe, probably some other guys I'm not remembering now. We are all set. Wow, I have some breaking news actually to report, actually, yeah. if you don't mind. Uh, Chad Dominicus, who we have, of course, uh, referred to many times on this podcast, just tweeted, uh, as we're recording this now, spinning off of Dave Pagnota's comments on Bottero last week, after some conversations the last day or so, I have the, sis- I have the sense that it's more likely than not that we see a change at GM for the Sabres. To be clear, nothing is 100% decided, but that's my sense right now. This probably isn't surprising with how the season is unfolding, but thought it was worth sharing that tidbit from discussions. To this point, expectations have in the organization have not been met. Wow. Well, wow, you could wow, say, wow. You could say that, that they have not been met. I suppose that's fair. That's exciting news. Yes. Do you have, how- I'm sure that they're going to do the right thing and hire the right person. Why wouldn't they? So, Sorry, what were you going to say? Do I what? Uh, do you think... Do we? What do we feel about this? Do we? How, about how Chad's report, or no? I guess do we, do we feel like that? Because he said nothing set in stone. Do we feel like this is something to start getting exciting about, or as you mentioned, like do you think they're even gonna hire the right person? I think that it is. <clears throat> this is gonna sound very sad. I think that it is a good thing, and it's worth being excited about because I think we know what the team is, and I they have a are in the midst of a very tough tough stretch right now. I think it is very, very likely that they're going to bottom out and it's going to be bad. Um, As far as the hire goes, part of me, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't just kind of hoping that maybe they luck into a bean situation where they just kind of hire the right guy (laughs) by accident. Um, I don't know. I... Part of me wants to think that with how bad things have gone this season and how bad the optics have been, that the Pagulas are going to take a look in the mirror and say, we need to change our processes, our, our process, um, you know, and I think if Botterill goes, then hopefully that also will mean that you clean house because very, very evident that the scouting department has not been up. Big not been doing it. Big trash. Big trash. 
I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think Botterill being gone in any fashion is a good thing. And I think that's something that's very interesting because we talked about before with Tim Murray and his firing. I think it was pretty surprising. And at the time of his firing, I wasn't ready to fire him. I wanted to give him another season. Whereas now at this point with Botterill, and I think a general consensus of fans would agree that it's time and that we don't want to see any more of it. Whereas with Murray, I think people were like, no, he should get another year. I wasn't like that, but... Good job on you guys being so generous. Well, I I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, at yeah. the time, I, I thought, like, all right, Murray, like, not to say that I was happy with what he was doing because, you know, he started off really aggressive, but we all know, like, the, that last year and a half, he did not do anything. However, with that being said, though, I still wanted to see what he could do with another offseason because he didn't have that benefit because of the fact that he got hired halfway through a season. Um, so I would have liked to see another offseason under him to see what he could have done. Whereas now with Botterill, I am ready. Like, that ship has sailed. You've been here for three years. You have one of the premier players in the league, and you have one of the premier young stud defensemen in the league. No excuse. Get him out of here. So I hope that that is the case. Anyways, though, should we move on to number five? Yeah, yeah, and I agree. So I was going to add, yeah, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, yeah. Do you have anything to add on uh, that? Not really. I think that's... I'll have to gather my thoughts later, but my yeah. general thought is... I... There's no point in exciting this. He doesn't know what he's doing. Right. So uh, moving on then, we have 2011-2012. So we're going to end the episode after this one because we're going to split this up into two parts. But um, just to kind of set the stage. Yeah, the real bad shit's coming next week. Oh, yeah. Just wait till Monday, guys. Oh, my God. It's going to be good. But Uh, I guess what I'm going to start getting... No, you know what? I won't get too mad about this one, but I think... Should we explain reasoning here too? Yeah, no, well, is... let's, let's set the stage first and then we'll go a little bit into reasoning because I think that kind of goes hand yes. in hand. Yes, okay, with each let's other. do that. So, this is the first season under Terry Pagula. 2011 2012 is our number five. <laughs> oh, the first off season <laughs> under the Pagulas. The, the open the checkbook, checkbook, drill the well mentality is in all of us. We're ready for them to start spending, and boy, did they spend, and not in a good way. Um, we know the signings, we know. We know. Well, so they traded for Robert Nogueras' rights yeah. and then signed him, which it wasn't like this huge Albatross contract, but it was like, that was no point in that. Yeah, He's, he was old. He was old. That's not the kind of guy you really want. Uh, he's slow. Yeah, he wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, secondly, risky, risky move, Erhoff, uh, who is coming from the President's Trophy winning Great Cubs. move trading for his rights. Bad move giving him that contract. Bad move giving him the term. Yeah. That's a, essentially, got, yeah. Con, the reason they got a good deal on the AAV, which was only $4 million a year, is because that term was absurd. Ridiculous. Years. You're not even allowed to do anymore. Like, a good deal would have been like 7 by 4 or 7 by 4 yeah. and a half even. Uh, as it turned out, it didn't matter. The, the compliance bought him out right. uh, a couple years later. But the real big bad one. Zero goals in a season. Vili Leno, who I think had 10 total goals as a Sabre in three years, uh, they paid him six years, $27.5 million. And it should be said that this is such a bad contract because Vili Leno was a, a, either a quad A guy or a fringe NHL guy, if you want to make the distinction there somehow. He, due to circumstances, did play some games for the Cup, uh, for Detroit in the Cup a couple years before, came to Philadelphia, didn't even really play during the regular season, got somehow made the playoff uh, roster, got on a line with Briere and Hartnell, 
in the 2010 yep. playoffs, had an awesome playoff run. Was really good. You would be the dictionary definition of a bus rider yep. with uh, those two fellows. Zach Cassian. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the Sabres are sitting home that year watching them. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're starting to get some ideas. The next year, Billy Leno has an actual good season. First good season. The Sabres said, good se- one good season, one good playoffs. So you're like 26 years old. $27 million. Six-year term. Darcy Regeer was like, I don't give a shit. I'll sign anyone. If I can't have Brad Richards, I am going to have oh, Billy Lano. Oh, my God. So Billy Lano was like a, the opposite of a victim of his circumstances. He was like uh, benefited by your circumstances. Right. So let's get into the season then. It was bad at the start. The, no, well, the, first, the, be- the very beginning was good. Like, well, the beginning October was good, was but good. then when you get into November and December, they just bottomed out. They ended up... By the end of January, they were in 14th place in the East. Really, really bad. And then they just flipped the switch. I think that they were tied for last at one point with the tiebreaker over Montreal. Right. Well, the last week of January, though, I do know. I, I believe, oh, so, oh, last week of January. The la- yeah. the, like, that's what I mean, year, to give yeah. you an idea. So, yeah, later in the year. Last week of January, Ooh, they... say part of the reason why they were so bad is because they lost Miller for right. weeks. Uh, and I don't need to go into the details, but the Lucic hit, which people talk about, like, oh, they tore him apart because toughness, or they didn't go after blah, him. Blah, Only, well, blah, Well, maybe, but blah, who knows? Blah. Unknowable things. Here's a knowable thing. Miller missed a bunch of time, and Enroth is bad. Yep. So, uh, end of January. Lucic is a piece of shit. Yeah, we are a Miller very right anti-Milan The most Lucic. right. Yeah. Just yeah. wanted to say that real quick. Absolutely. No, that's 100%. Obviously, yeah. like, whatever. But Also, so, Brendan could beat him in a fight. He's told me before. Yeah, I would definitely take him, no doubt. <laughs> Um, all right, so then, like I said, they're in 14th place the last week of January. They go on an insane run, 18-5-5. and They take over the eighth and final playoff spot on March 24th, okay? Yeah. They have a nice 3-1 to win Ooh. at home against the Wild. Yeah. So then, here F-O-H, comes... Miko Koivu. Oh, yeah, baby. Here comes the big matchup. We alluded to this earlier. Then, on March 27th, they are tied with the Caps for the eighth and final playoff spot. This late in the season. After this, they only have two more games to go after this game. They face the Caps, crush them. 5-1 to one win, commanding yep. victory. Everybody's feeling good. We got this. They have two games to go. You control your own destiny. You win. You get three out of four points. You're in. Done. Good to go. They lose two straight. Or no, excuse me. There was four games remaining after they play the Caps. They lose their next two against the Caps. And then... With two games remaining, the Caps tie them in the standings for eighth place in the uh, in the conference. And in the final two games, they just fold. They pick up one point, and they miss the playoffs. Well, the second last game, I believe, was um, it was Philadelphia, and they were tied late. Mm-hmm. And Matt Reed scored. Wow, that's a name. Yeah. To, to give Philadelphia the lead, and that kind of uh, eliminated them. They, they, by the last game, the Sabres were uh, mathematically eliminated, and the Capitals ended up getting up to seven. Uh, they wow. passed uh, yeah. Ottawa. The so Caps finished the season strong, and Ottawa obviously did not, and the Caps won their first-round playoff series. Look at that. They uh, upset Boston in seven. Good for them. Glad yeah. it went well. Yeah, so anyway, this year, uh, you might be wondering why it's behind uh, the tank year and 2013-14, two seasons where... <laughs> that combined for only, uh, I think, 106 points. Uh, so my reasoning is this. Partially, I was so mad for so much of this season. So part of that was probably my disposition at the time. <laughs> when I was 18 and turned 19 during the season. I was angry about a lot of things. But 
if my time hop tells me one thing, uh, it's the the second thing I was most angry about in that time of my life was the Sabers because I posted it on Facebook about about it constantly. Angsty Taylor, I yeah. love it. Yeah, everyone loved my Facebook statuses back in the day. I I was a big fan. Yeah, you had good ones, <laughs> and not everyone agreed. So <laughs> um, they. The Sabres were, were starting to get a label at this time for being soft, mentally and physically. They definitely weren't all that tough of a team, which led to something. Of course not. Yeah, later. I mean that's. The, I, I know I scoffed at the Lucic thing earlier, with whatever, but yeah. like, that is true to an extent. Yeah, know? they weren't a very physical team, but the th- one of the things that killed them was that stretch with losing Miller because uh, just having a normal stretch at that time, combined with how they were in the last, the latter third of the season, puts them in the playoffs easily. Again, they're not going to win the cup, but that would have been nice mm-hmm. as like a last hurrah for that era. Uh, Villileno was terrible that year for, especially for the money. He he scored like seven goals, like unbelievably disappointing year for him <laughs> right away. He was Good. invisible most of the time. Derek Roy had come back from injury and was a different guy. He was just he was not very good. Mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, Pominville had a really good year. I think he had like seventy three points. Uh, Stafford had a huge step back after he got a contract. 30 goals the year before. Uh, was not nearly the same guy as far as uh, goal output. Right. And in general, it was just, there's so many guys where you're like, I'm sick of watching these guys, which is like now. <laughs> right. Except that those guys had played a bunch of playoff games. Uh, and, but the reason it's ahead of other years, even though I would say that's some of the most mad I've ever been at hockey. Right. Uh, the reason it's ahead is because of that run. That run was incredible. Because it was like, it was like similar to the year before. We're like, oh my god, we did it again. We right. just we had two years in a row, we're gonna have this unbelievable run. So the reason also that it's behind this tank years is because how it ended, and what it meant, what that led to, and what it's still leading to today. Uh, that was beautiful. Yeah, it's it it really is it <laughs> beautifully was, done. It beautifully was, said. Thank you. I think it was around Easter when the season ended. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I was home on a Easter break, and that's when the Matt Reed game happened. I'm, I don't. I don't think people call it the Matt Reed game, but the I Matt Reed game. It. <laughs> um, but it was that was it was devastating. It's it like was oh, sucked. I guess we're not going to do this. Oh yeah. And then from there to to see how that next post, uh, excuse me, the next off season went and the way things tumbled downward from there, it couldn't help. It can't help a feeling that it started here. But and I'll say the but again, they were still pretty good at this point, which is something. We didn't have our souls ripped from us yet. The reason I had the ability to get so mad beyond who I was back then was because I expected more. Right. And now it's hard to say that. <laughs> and that's why you might notice when we come into our part two episode on Monday that Monday is very heavy on the recent past and present. Shocking. Because there's something that hangs over all these seasons. And I should say, this is a good place on this episode, because it absolutely starts in 2011-2012. Some people have said, and I, I think we scoffed at it for a while, that the Miller hit changed the Sabres trajectory as a franchise. I don't think it's as white and black as that, like this is a before and after thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that was a very important moment, not just because of what it symbolized, but the actual effect, like I said. Mm-hmm. But also, what that set in motion, like that next offseason. Yeah. And what we're going to be dealing with on Monday. Uh, can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. We'll open the show with a, a real fun and exciting uh, offseason. Oh, get ready. Yep. All Lockouts. right. John Scott. <laughs> get you it all here. You love to see it, everybody. Well, be sure to tune in to our Monday episode. Uh, also, be sure to check out the Hockey Podcast Network online at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com and on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. 
Catch us on Twitter at Blue and Gold Cast. Anything else to add, Taylor? Yeah. Uh, follow our Twitter. We're, we have a fun uh, tankathon contest. Uh, more instructions online, but basically it involves uh, tankathon.com. It's in uh, in association with Cool Hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can win some cool prizes. It's easier if you if you go look at online than me explaining here. But basically, you use a tankathon lottery simulator. Uh, try to get it right, and if you win, if you if you have the the winning draw, as it were. Mm-hmm. Then you will win a cool prize. Cool prizes are cool. Yeah. Hell yeah, they are. You might even get to meet us. I'm just kidding. No, you won't. <laughs> if you want to meet us, you can. Yeah, really. you can actually come on the podcast. Just... <laughs> you want to do the podcast <laughs> for the last couple just, months? Just take over. It's yeah. okay. We'll give it up. Yeah. I Any... think we're okay with that. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, uh, Besides though... that, I think we're all good. Uh, we didn't talk about any of the recent games, and you're welcome. Yeah. Congratulations, everybody. You did not have to sit through us, us, screaming, us screaming about how bad we are. So, well, in a different way, I guess you did, but it was more encouraging since we did the good stuff. Monday though get ready it's gonna be a doozy oh absolutely i think like a lot of emotion is gonna come out on monday i hope not but it probably will be the it case. probably will all right everybody well thank you all so much for tuning in this has been blue and gold make darlene and as always we're gonna end things with our random sabers player of the episode which we are going to share with you all now in three two one brady, brady austin Comfer. 